Here we go. folks, this is your host Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, yeah just FYI, this is as good as it gets on a Friday afternoon right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right, so you got good news, and it's Friday. So, so yeah. So my good news was two things. One was my it went from bad to good. My you, you love it when you get something from your you know like tax professional, your accountant, and they're like, oh, "The taxes I told you you owed yesterday." <laughs> yes. We calculated it. It's like you don't owe as much as you thought. And I was like, "Oh, thank <laughs> that's you, great!" God. Like, thank you, nice. thank you for getting it wrong yesterday because I <laughs> left the call or the email yesterday thinking, uh, "Okay, um, I owe the IRS a lot of money." Um, and then I the do too, unfortunately, other, yeah, it's horrible. It's uh, but when you get the good news on the other side of like, "Oh, we didn't get this one thing that you had out." Um, the other piece of good news is I am a Formula One fan, and I think I might be able to finally get tickets to go see the race in Miami, which I've been trying to get tickets to. So I'm pretty excited about that. Which when when is that race? That is in May or June. May. Uh, it's the first time they're doing it in Miami. They've been doing it in the U.S. in Austin. Okay. Um, at the uh, Speedway of the Americas or something like that, um, which is a cool track. But they're doing it as a street course in Miami, which is pretty cool. And who doesn't want to go to Miami? In Miami. I know. It's like such a cool place to go to see a car race. I'm jealous. Um, not that Austin isn't, but uh, Miami's cooler. Miami's way cooler. I don't know if I ever yep. would ever want to live there unless I had a lot of money or I was like an NFL star. Because I don't know. I mean, maybe for vacation, but uh, coincidentally, I was having this conversation earlier. No, yesterday evening with someone, and um, I'm of the about Miami. About Miami. Well, it was about Florida in general, and you know, no disrespect to the rest of the state. But anytime you start a sentence with that, disrespect is incoming hard and fast. Yes. And uh, yeah, yeah, totally. There's only four cities in this state I would absolutely live in, and. and although Miami's on the list, it's like, I don't want to live there. It's too hot. It's too crowded. I love visiting, but I don't think I could live there. I agree. Wow. Mm. I agree. So part two of our convo, I'm going to be honest. The last time we talked, it was a little while ago. So I don't remember much of what we talked about. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but um, I thought well, that... Uh, we, talked, yeah. we talked at least one of the topics we covered was the impact of privacy on the way Chris does marketing these days, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, uh, we talked about um, some more progressive ways to be able to action that kind of data with, without violating others. Um, And, you know, the kind of differentiators that is for, you know, for his business models, for your business models, Chris, Um, what else did we touch on? I think we poked around a bit around your product experience because we ended up up getting down into that one a bit too. 
There was something, Gabe, that you wanted to bring up on this this part too, but I'm I'm kind of blanking on it. Um, maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> so it's a so am I? Am I? I don't know. I didn't yeah, say. clearly. But that being said, though, Chris, it's good to see. You. It's good to have you back on the show. Um, what have you been up to since we've last spoken to? Oh gosh, uh, so much. It's been uh, it's been quite the whirlwind. Uh, I think everything going on in the world has created. Um, a unique situation for folks that we work with who are, you know, building products and building digital products. Um, the, uh, there's an increase in demand. Um, I just think as, as the pandemic continues, hopefully slowing down, but, um, that's been, uh, sort of keeping things moving. And, uh, you know, with respect to, what's been going on in Europe. Um, you know, there's been some disruption there and people are trying to figure out what to do about it. And so a lot of conversations are working with our clients to help them figure out how they should be thinking about things. Um, and, uh, and partnering with them on that. So that, that's interesting. Um, and then just trends that we've been dealing with a, a series of what seem to be common trends. Some of them touch upon, uh, privacy and security, but yeah. um, we're seeing a lot of clients figuring out. Like we talked about this in the last episode uh, that we recorded, but uh, a lot of our customers are focused on um, trying to figure out how to use their data, their first party data, in a way that creates engagement, lasting engagement um, with their customers, with potential prospects in, in some cases, yeah. um, and use that as a way to, you know, create these uh, personalized experiences um, that go through the entire customer journey. And so that, that's been a common theme, but now it's accelerating fast. And I think there's a variety of reasons you can talk about the cookie. We talked about the cookie the last time. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, one of the reasons, but I also think it's the enlightenment that they've gotten from having to rethink their strategies around data and privacy and how they engage that enlightenment is leading them to think about new ways to do it. And I actually think those new ways of, of engagement, um, connectivity, and, um, and, um, you know, using it for personalization is, 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 uh, better than the world that we were living in before. Like we've, we somehow figured out that, uh, 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 uh we're doing addition by subtraction. We've removed right. one of the core ways in which folks have engaged with, um, their customers and it's creating new and I think better ways for them to do it in the future, which is pretty exciting. That is exciting. That is extremely exciting. I want to come back to the trends, but our yep. last two episodes, we covered a bit of what's going on in the world. We uh, we talked about some of the implications um, of what would happen if cyber war were to escalate. Uh, you know, yep. we we know there's always since the since the very first two machines went online, maybe the three machines went online. There's always been there's always been some kind of you know digital friction. <laughs> um, but um, we discussed, you know, kind of the shrapnel that we expected to see in and around those things. But one of the other things that, that I touched on as well, and I promised our audience that we would 
get an, another perspective other than just mine on this one was how exactly do we help our customers? Cause you know, like yourself build products as well too. And yep. um, I've got teams in Eastern Europe as well. And you know, what, what advice do you have for your clients as they try to get through what is a most unique situation for most of us? Yeah. I mean, I, I what here's, here's something, I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, but here's something that I think came out of it came out of what's happening that I, I as, as a human, I felt really emboldened by um, a lot of the folks that we were talking to said, I want to keep my teams intact. I will do whatever it takes to keep engaging with my teams as their worlds are getting disrupted specifically in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I, how do I figure that out? How do I, make sure that people, you know, don't lose a source of income, don't lose um, their connectivity to the rest of the world in this. And I, 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 it, it, that was amazing. Uh, I, you know, it just shows that, that in many cases trumped all the needs that, you know, normally have from a business or product development perspective. And that's pretty, um, pretty excited to see that from the conversations I had. It was almost universal. Um, and then now I think people are trying to figure out whether it's just in terms of business continuity, whether it's, um, continuing innovation, whether it's even security. Um, I think there's a, how, how do we, how do we, how do we figure out a new way of doing this and, and potentially find a way of doing it in a more diversified way? Um, globally uh and keep with the spirit of let's protect our teams and make sure that um we are uh supporting them through a horrible crisis but how do we also think about the future and figure out how to how to do this in 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 a way that um protects from potentially vulnerabilities from security um specifically in parts of the world where that's more problematic, but also create um, diversification to keep um, to keep business continuity. And so, those are the conversations we're having. Is is you know what 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 strategies can you put in place to do that? And, and I think you know a simple one would just be how do you figure out um, your teaming and product development strategy where you can leverage you know teams in every part of the globe. Uh, there's a variety of reasons to do that, not just because of crisis, um, but crisis is one of them that you have to protect against. But how do you do that? Because the market is so crazy right now. Mm-hmm. So the supply is um, is strained and demand is increasing as people are you know, doing more digital. So uh, those are the conversations we're having, which are which are they're, they're sobering in some cases, but, but really exciting in others as people think about how they do this more holistically in the future, which maybe before they didn't have to, it's, it's like what we talked about with respect to the cookie is like, you got used to doing things a certain way. You didn't have to change it. Mm -hmm. Right. But then something happened that forced you to change it. Same thing here. People are rethinking and going like, how do I actually create a a, a real strategy around this? Which maybe before they didn't have to, because it wasn't necessary. You reminded me of a couple of things. Um, so I was I was writing I was writing up an essay this weekend because I've had a couple of things just like stuck in the brain. I really need to get out. I'm like ah, 
I'm just going to wake up on Monday morning, choose violence and drop this on LinkedIn. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like to plan when I'm going to absolutely disrupt the world. Um, <laughs> you, you, you said a couple of things that I think are very important for our listeners. One, uh, you know, diversifying your, your resource pool in general, and not just because of crisis. Um, but I think from an innovation standpoint, it's mandatory to get different perspectives and different perspectives comes from different lived experiences. And that only happens through all kinds of diversification, both, you know, gender, race, as well as geographic, right? Like all of that type of diversification helps if you are in the innovation business. If you're not in the innovation business, it's still very helpful, but make no mistake about it. The lack of it in innovation is immediately noticeable in the outcomes. Um, uh, You know, pro tip for those, those of you that have, I've not explored it yet, but I can tell you, um, certainly on the product side and the development side, very much on the product side, I found an ungodly amount of amazing resources uh, in South America. Um, that's that's a that is a, a very good place, I think, to to look for for additional help for those of us that that need it, um, because ultimately, and I know it sounds kind of selfish, like you know, others are dealing with issues. And, you know, we're, we're still trying to continue business, but there are a lot of our businesses that are very dependent on people to help other people also. You know, we're not just we're not just all developing video games and, and other random, you know, uh, luxury items and whatnot. A lot of our a lot of our digital products are are to serve very, very real human needs. And that disruption is, is harmful. I've seen that happen in other ways. Um I don't want to call anyone out, but, you know, I've, I've seen it happen over the last couple of weeks with, you know, some healthcare platforms and all of, all of the things that we've come to depend on, not just to, to, to get goodies to our door overnight, but to get hell, even medicine to our door overnight, et cetera, has been disrupted. And then you talk, we're, mm. we're working with a client who's trying to solve water. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such a fundamental, um, challenge that uh you know again to your point it's it's very easy to think it's all about some consumer good or some media content you know distribution but it's it's also just getting to core basic human values and how you're supporting products um in those areas as well so um, so can, can agree with you more there yeah, absolutely right and then I forgot what I was going to say about choosing violence, but I was looking at my notes here from my, <laughs> from my own essay, um, and I was I was starting to write about uh, path dependence, um, path dependence as it relates to those choices that that we have to make uh, in general, whether they are product ones or otherwise. And what I think gets lost in this sauce as well is the history of path dependency, right? Like. We don't do anything in a vacuum and we think about it maybe in our very human lives, you know, in, in our outside of our day jobs. And many of us, I think, think of in our day jobs, you make mm-hmm. a decision today and that decision is going to affect us tomorrow, right? Like it will affect us tomorrow. And the same is true from a privacy perspective, a security perspective, a product perspective, like the choices we make are they, they open up other dependent paths that directly back to that. Um, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go down that path too much, largely because I'm unprepared and I'm still building my uh, still building my arsenal. Um, <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll come back to that one. But great points, though, that that, that you jog there, though, Chris. Um, so I appreciate that. I see you in your room this weekend, furiously writing on oh. in a notebook. Oh, you know it. It's just it's not good. Let me <laughs> violent, violently writing in a notebook. 
violent. Wreck. So I, I had a thought. I was, I was kind of curious on both, maybe both of what you both think. So let's just say that we're in this day and time. We're same date. It's uh, 3.25-2022, uh, to be exact. Um, let's say we're, what, what's Ooh, happening now in Ukraine. It's 3.25 also, by the way. Look at that. In two minutes, it will be oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Coast. yeah. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. Um, so let's say that we're in our spot right now with the world um, and what is happening in Russia and Ukraine. Are you satisfied with where you are currently in your position and what you can do for others that's being affected by this? Or where would you want to be if you had the choice to be somewhere else right now, would there be something else that you'd want to be doing or in a different position to be able to help in a, a different way? That's a heavy question. Sorry. <laughs> That's a very heavy question. Yeah. It's a very heavy question. I'm not even sure how to answer it <laughs> other than by saying, um, Here's what I'll say. Am, am I? Probably not, because I, I, I think we're somewhat isolated from it from the moment, because that's just the way um, we are geographically. So it makes it mm-hmm. easier to say it's happening, you know, across across the Atlantic. Um, yeah. A couple of continents away. Um, going back to the, the sort of spirit of things that have made me um, emboldened by humankind like we have teams um i have a, a large team of people that i work with who are um a share a border with ukraine and i was talking to one of one of my teammates two weeks ago and we're talking about the situation and obviously the situation for them is 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 closer um in in every way not just geographically mm-hmm. um and it was an interesting conversation because this this was no way a, a humble brag or anything that she was saying to gain um, any sort of emotion uh, or game emotion. It was she was talking about how she was setting up a room in her house to take in refugees, mm. and I, again, Cameron, I don't know if this is answering your question, but would I would I want to be in a situation where I could do that? Yeah. I don't even, I be honest, I don't even know if I could. Um, but just having a conversation with a teammate where that is something that they are actively doing and thinking about, I mean, it was such a, a it was like a conversation you're having with a friend. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we're setting up this room and we're thinking about the logistics of how it's going to work. And I was like, that is maybe one of the most altruistic things I've ever heard anybody ever say because there is nothing behind it other than compassion um, and somebody doing something that was just right and not thinking much about it almost like almost to a fault not thinking much about it yeah let's just set up that part of our house and you Mm -hmm. know somebody will be living there we'll figure out the food stuff you know it's like unbelievable so would I want to be in a position like that yeah and would I want to be in a position where I choose the right thing and be altruistic and, and, and be human. Uh, that's where I'd want to be, but just seeing someone do it was pretty amazing. That's gotta take a lot. I I think, 
I think a she lot has a family. Of, she's got two kids. Well, yeah, she's, I think a lot of and people. And she's going to take in a family with multiple kids. Like, a lot of people would hide from that. Absolutely. Because maybe because, uh, you know, a lot of people are selfish. Um, just being being human, but also probably scared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting so, you use the word selfish because, you know, like I thought about your question also. And I think I, I take a slightly different take on it. And it probably sounds selfish, but I also happen to be maybe. In the I'm not saying that. People. I'm not saying that the selfish part is bad. I'm just saying. No, that's, yes, that's, that's very, what I was getting at. That's what I was human. getting at. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very human. And and I think sometimes selfishness does get a little bit of a bad rep over selflessness, right? And mm-hmm. I would, I too would want to be in that situation. Um, you know, if I could help, I've I've done some some things. I've, you know, not really worth mentioning because whatever, I didn't do them to talk about them. But you know, I've done some things to help how best I can. Um, but you, your original question was, you know, would I rather be somewhere else? And my first thought was, man, there, there are a number of people right here that really depend on me. And that kind of selfishness too, right, is um, it's so conflicting to make those mm-hmm. choices. Would I take a family in? And I think I would, but it's because I also grew up in a massive household with tons of people. And so you'd have to crack 15 before I noticed it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like my mom was one of seven. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, you know, I lived in the Caribbean, multi-generational living. So aunts, grandparents, like everyone lived. Yeah. So you, you'd have to get a lot of people in my presence before I noticed that it was too many. It's like, oh, look, yeah. there are now 20 people here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do appreciate everyone that's doing all they can. Um, and I don't know how we at this show can help, but certainly, you know, if there's anything anyone's listening and thinks that we can do, uh, I, we certainly can broker some some resources for, for folks. Yeah, if there's someone that's possible. listening right now that has yeah. any kind of foundation or anything that we can... Uh, well, I believe I believe you guys are, aren't you? Didn't Spurian, um, didn't Spurian do something? I saw something come across the wire there. Um, there is a couple different things, actually. That's a good point. Um Better think of it fast because we don't edit on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, let's just say I will put it in the show notes. In the show notes. There it is. There That's it. Put, it's going put, to me sh- a, put me on the spot, Gabe. Thanks. My bad. <laughs> it's going in the show notes. Look, I didn't even remember what it was. I saw it pop across on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, look at that. That's awesome. I love that team. Because there's a um, couple things that I know we're, we're in, yeah. in the middle of too. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that Spurian's always been extremely good um, about coming forward when there's a cause that needs uh, that needs some attention. When the pandemic first hit, mm-hmm. you know, providing meals for folks and whatnot. So I think, you know, everyone do what you can is really what I get at, right? Like, you know, some of us can do way more than others. Some of us can't really do a whole lot. It's, it's the way it is right now. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what this will be, what, what this will affect for our future. Um, how long is this going to last? It's I heard it, yesterday. Yep. You know, people are thinking upwards of, you know, eight to 12 months, which is just wild. It seems short, about. right? I mean, I guess so. Technically, the Korean War is still going on. So, you know, hopefully it's not that long. But on that timeline, yeah, it definitely yeah. feels shorter, but um, definitely feels more uncertain, too. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And, um, it is, it is sobering, but to the point of, um, there's, there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to do what's right. And mm-hmm. I always find in these times, it's amazing what you see from people in the, in the smallest opportunities, um, do, um, and, uh, 
Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question. Cameron, no, you I, did. Uh, I don't know if that was the spirit of it. That's what I was kind of thinking of. I think it was even better yeah. than what I expected. Um, I was just curious and, you know, just to, to get your, both of your feedback on how you feel about the situation. And if you feel like you're in a position where you would want to be in a different position to, to help any way you can, even if it wasn't close to the border or anywhere near it, if it was just in a job or a position um, yeah. that you could actually help even more. Um, but yeah. that, yeah, it was great. Um, anyways, uh, got sidetracked here. Trends. The other topic we're Trends, on, and I, yes. this, yeah, this was very fascinating to me um, because I always love talking to people that, that have, you know, data points, like firsthand yeah. data points. Right? Like they're, they're experiencing it in, in the wild. Um, you, you touched on a couple of trends, and I think you, you kind of just kind of walked around some of the, the privacy implications of, of yeah. any ones in particular on the privacy side that really jump out at you right now? Uh, well, on, that you see, on privacy. That you see coming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see a few things that are leading to potential trends that, that have impact on privacy. So one of the areas, at least in the, the companies that I work with, that seems interesting to me. It's maybe the realization that some of these companies are having. And I've been in this position before where we probably all have, where there's um, an active M&A mm-hmm. uh, activity. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we see this with a lot of our clients where what happens is even if it's a short burst of M&A, they're, they're just in a in growth mode and so they acquire several companies or it could be sustained over time. What invariably happens is, and you guys will appreciate this as product folks, the, 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 what invariably happens is the products continue to exist from that M&A activity. It's not, I think people do, if you're not in product development, you go, great, you acquire the company, you absorb that product into your product suite, you're good, right? You, the stacks somehow integrate, right. everything's great. That's part of due diligence. You'll figure out how to make that work. But what's happening is um, is what reality is, which is those products exist for some time. And in many cases, for a long time. Oh, yeah. You might skin the UI differently, create a different experience or an integrated experience. You might connect behind the scenes with some sort of service APIs or, or some way of creating connectivity, maybe not even that elegantly. But the, the products continue to exist. And what happens is you get this sort of house of cards that gets built up over time. And so one of the trends we're seeing, not that this is a new trend, but a trend that we're seeing in terms of like dealing with it, a lot of the clients we're talking to are finally figuring out, like I, I have to do business as usual product development. I have to focus on innovation, to focus on rolling out new features. Um, I have to focus on creating um, like a, uh, an overarching infosec you know, uh, architecture that, that works across all of these products. But when they're all disparate on different code bases, um, written by different people in many cases, um, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling with it. And so they're finally coming to the realization that they need to re-architect and we need to re-platform. And so that is happening more than I've seen in the past. We've all dealt with it and we've all figured it out. But what I see is a rash of, and I think it has a lot to do with the way, um, Infrastructure costs have gone as things have moved to the cloud. I think it has a lot to do with um, uh, challenges around supply yeah. of, of resources to do these things that 
historically that people are now going, I can't wait any longer. I need to do this. It's going to bring down my costs. It's going to allow me to, 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 to roll out um, product features faster. Yeah. Um, and it's going to allow me to scale much better than I can and make sure that I don't create or leave these vulnerabilities in place. Cause if you look at most of the challenges that people have had around security, a lot of it, whether articulated or not have to do with, the fact that some of these systems that are connected together Absolutely. are not, were not designed to be connected together. Absolutely. And that creates the vulnerabilities that people have. So just an interesting trend. Um, not I new. Want, I want to pull on that thread a little bit more, not new, but to, but to see it, um, you know, persisting and maybe even increasing is interesting. Uh, you, the security aspect of it is, is I've always thought, believe it or not, the easier of the privacy, like security versus privacy problem solved. But then there's also the fact that like you have to solve the security problem before you can solve the privacy problem. Um, and it's fresh in my brain. I'm going to put it in chat here. Over the last two weeks, I've, uh, so I held a webinar you know, like two or three weeks ago on the topic of security engineering and, and privacy engineering. In fact, we had our buddy Nishant on it. Um, he's the head of privacy at Uber. Uh, he was also the head of privacy engineering, privacy engineering, not privacy. So not, not the, the governance side, not the legal regulation, yeah, yeah. but, but the build it into the platform side, yeah. right? Um, so he's Google Nike, he's at Uber now. Um, he's done this at scale in amazing ways. And he's written a book about it recently. So shameless plug to his book. Um, it's, uh, Nishant Bahat, but Majadia killed me for messing that up. And I think it's just called security uh security engineering a run book for engineers something of that I'll, I'll look it up we'll put that in the show notes also um the link i also just dropped in chat is to more shameless plugs uh in different project uh shameless plug there's, there's no monetary anything associated with this but as part of this show we'd run across this same conversation like what do we do about those systems that weren't designed with privacy in mind, right? Like, you know, Anne Shavakin coined the phrase privacy by design, I don't know how long ago. It's it's like two decades there, right? Like it's a long time now. Um, but there are lots of systems that are that are that are terribly old that don't have that. And what you just described is the perfect opportunity to now engineer privacy. And if you are replatforming, this is your opportunity to rethink the privacy design of your systems, which coincidentally, which more than coincidence, but it's luckily for me, for folks that are going to endeavor on this exercise, you have to employ security controls to do that. So you get you get those two benefits for the price of one, right? Like if you solve your privacy platform problems from an engineering perspective, you will have by design built better security into it also um, and better governance and better compliance. Like all of those things come with it. If that's your target, if privacy is your target, you get all those things. Like if only security is your target, you'll fall short of those other ones. Um, and so we we had put together this project before this awesome privacy engineering um, on GitHub. It's just a collection of all the resources associated with this. So I wanted to share that. If in your conversations and trails that comes across, it might be worth sharing. Because it came up from uh, from a, a, a long conversation we we're having on LinkedIn with more of our peers, and we just couldn't find a similar resource that just like had all of that information in one place. So there it is, replatforming is the time, if you haven't already done so, to to engineer security and privacy into your platforms and uh, we'll provide some helpful totally, resources. Totally agree. And this is the these are the conversations we're having with clients is is you can kill multiple birds with that one stone. It's one it's just 
it's so easy. We yeah. keep talking about this in different ways. Like it's so easy to kick the can down the road and stick with your normal uh, until it gets disrupted. But, you know, look at having uh, one potential privacy or security um, issue come up um, because of one of these challenges. That's the sobering, like, I got to take this seriously. Why wait for that? Um, and in most cases, why wait for some disruption that's going to happen in some way, whether it's through um, something happening geopolitically or something happening regulatory-wise um, or something happening from an incident. Uh, take the step back, do the replatforming. It's going to save you money ultimately. It's going to allow you to innovate faster anyway and yes. do it with a privacy-centric mindset. Yes. And um, to your point, Gabe, I mean, I think that's the that's the way to approach this. And, um, and, and so I'm happy to see people are doing that. Now, the reality is they need help. And that's where... Um, there, there's a there's a lot going on uh, with respect to our clients where we're trying to figure out like okay what how do, how do we help you do that um, and how do we help you do it in a way that does not disrupt your normal um, software development mm-hmm. cycles but also doesn't disrupt your business mm-hmm. um, and that's part of the a lot of these things are changing the uh, engine on the plane in flight and uh and and so it could be quite scary to do that but necessary in these cases i like this the carrot you put out there of if you if you are intentional about how you go about this activity you can be innovative along the way as well too and i think that that couldn't be more true if you if you take the the approaches that have been developed both uh, academically and now commercially to some of the privacy um, you know, technologies and things out there, all those privacy enhancing technologies, you will literally build a better platform that will do things, for example, like allow you to be able to have a better ecosystem of data sharing if, for example, you built in some homomorphic encryption um, into your databases, right? Like, And I know it sounds like, oh my God, but how do I do that? Well, I mean, it's easy enough. There are tons of people that sell you shit to do that, but it's also, there's a lot of skilled professionals that, that are now in this uh, in this business too. And it will allow you to be far more innovative, right? Like you look at a platform like Snowflake um, where they have, it's not homomorphic encryption, but they have a type of uh, data sharing. A data sharing, yeah. That, that You basically get a similar outcome, right? Like you can ask yeah. questions of the data without getting access to the data. And I don't think yeah, they're doing yeah. homomorphic encryption, but they might have some in there also. Um, I, won't, I won't mention which. Uh, well, this kind of reminds me, this goes back to what, <clears throat> 2020 um, at RSA, mm. we were having that conversation where noticed that there was like a shift in companies like going, I think it was DLP companies that were moving to privacy companies, or at least they were at least right, outing right, right, themselves right. as we are, we're a privacy company or it's right. part of, and that's, I mean, what we're in 2022 now, um, I'm sure that number's increased even more because that's, I think hopefully that's the shift that customers and prospects are starting to see as well, yeah. because I'm seeing it in customers as well. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a shift that uh, it just depends on the size of the, 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 the company, but you're seeing more and more people trying to bring in privacy officers. Um, it's really nice to see that, <clears throat> especially, you know, when they're trying to build out uh, and they actually can get it when the customer can get it. 
and understand that it's more than just security. It's more than just a checkbox. Um, it's really, it's really fun to see because I get to, you know, I get to help those customers. It's fun to kind of build that maturity governance practice with them, um, with our tools. So it's, it's very, very cool to see that transition going right now and how it's, it is, it is a literal differentiator amongst your competition. And if you look at the moves that like Apple and Google has taken, it mm-hmm. is more than just that. I mean, it literally was a, le- a competitive lever that just it, Facebook lost. How much of its valuation? I don't mm-hmm. even remember how much it's at. Um, that, that is what the power of privacy engineering can do for your actual business. I totally agree. And I think it's, it's so part of it is, is bringing in the right people. Uh, Cameron, I agree. There's been a shift there, and I think it's a, a fundamental and, and progressive one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also changing with respect to how tools are being used. I, I would say, in the experience I've, I've had, you, you could use the Snowflake example uh, as, a, as a good one. The, the systems that used to be in place for there to be an exchange of data, some of the stuff sensitive, privacy, um, you know, or privacy related, like or privacy sensitive data, um, the, the mechanisms for exchange on those were pretty rudimentary and prone to um, data leakage, data mm-hmm. privacy breaches. Um, the systems in place now actually work really well to insulate the data and transition it from one system to another much better than they did even five years ago. Um, I just even think of if you go back to sort of the, the, the marketing use case, um, it's a simple one. You, what I am, am talking to clients, a lot of our clients about is how can they create data clean rooms? How do they keep mm-hmm. a very well insulated environment by which I can exchange data, but control the exchange of that data? Where before, people are passing data over like open APIs with somebody, that coder just doesn't, you know, Set a uh, put a setting in right, and the data is exposed. And a lot of the exposures were from simple, basic coding errors uh, or or governance issues that weren't addressed ahead of time. Right. But these systems now are are fairly self contained, where you can keep keep exchanging data as it needs to be exchanged, but do it in a way that's 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 privacy safe and also IP safe. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the other things that I used to um, I used to uh, you know realize is that how much data leakage is there's a privacy issue with respect to it. The companies who are data companies, their IP is the data that they're exchanging, and that's so if there's right. leakage on that, they're actually impacting their business. So there's there's sort of multi- multitudes of issues that come from that. But I, I do conversations I've had around data clean rooms in the past six months. People are trying to figure out how to create, and it's not just a pure data clean room, but the concept of a clean room in terms of the, the exchange of data and how they establish one. That's work that we're starting to see more of, um, which I'm pretty excited about because you need to keep the system in place. You need to be able to, you have to exchange data. It's part of being a software development company. There's an ecosystem you have to tap into, but how do you do it in a way that doesn't create um, uh, uh, issues for the end consumer, for um, for the company itself. Uh, I think there, there there's new ways that people are doing the systems are supporting it much better. Now, forgive me, I'm going to be the uh, the guy who's going to give himself permission to be the idiot in the room. Um, you you mentioned clean room. Yeah. 
I think laboratory. Yeah, <laughs> is that what you're referring a, to? That's a good thought. I think. I, I think. I think that's the that's that's what most folks are going for <laughs> is to, to to get you thinking that there's this sort of lab sterile environment. Yeah, it's sterile. So that's like your, I, that's is that a term in in the industry in our industry? It is. For, yeah. Okay. Okay. Correct. So so if I'm so if I have data, I'm a company that has data, and I'm working with as most companies do with some ecosystem mm-hmm. that leverages that data somehow. Maybe it's a third-party tool that I'm using. Maybe it's a partner that I'm working with. And I want to control the use of that data. Right. Historically, there'd be some way to exchange it in XML, API, batch files, whatever it might be right. that are prone mm-hmm. to, I would say, error and perhaps prone to getting in the hands of someone nefarious doing something that wasn't intended for that data. Right. So you're, you're exposing that, the system exposed that. A data, a, a clean room allows you as the person who owns that data to match to or connect with another source and ensure that the data that's being passed is the data that you want to pass and is being used in a way that you want it to be used. That's an oversimplification. There's ways yeah. in which, you know, you could be using that data, um, in, in a much um, more sterile environment. But the reality is it gives you as the person who owns that data and connects with that ecosystem, the ability to control much better than you could before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Appreciate that. So for anyone listening, yeah. who didn't know you're welcome. <laughs> build, build the cleaner. <laughs> build the clean room. Indeed. Yes, yes, yes. I like that. Now that's not, I mean, I don't want to get down a rabbit hole here, but that's that's different from wanting to basically when you find data for instance and you want to be able to Mm. um, move it or whatever um, let's say we want to take an extra step and encrypt that that file Um, could that be a process part of this clean room or is that something that's beyond a clean room no i think it's part of it right i think if you look at the components of a clean room it's probably some form of data management some form of uh, ETL or ELT, um, yep, yep. some form of, uh, actually some, some modules of governance. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, how do you ensure that what's being done in the clean room is allowed? Right. Um, and then, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's usually either an encryption component and or a, um, de-identification component. That's part of it. Yep. So, yep. you know, that's, that goes to governance, right? How do I ensure that data that is sensitive isn't tied, whether it's regulatory or some other reason, isn't tied to something personal? Right. right? I can't even reverse engineer it back to something personal. Uh, think of HIPAA-related data. Yeah. I, I, HIPAA think compliance data that someone has now opted out of. I'm thinking CCPA in particular, right? Um, right. The, I mean, cut you off there. I apologize, Chris, but yeah. No. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> no, CCPA, uh, in some cases, well, GDPR. You know what you got me thinking why you got all jazzed up and busted in there? It's because, you know, the, the thing is, Cameron, like clean rooms oftentimes as yeah, – Keep me on the straight and narrow here, Chris, because I think your customers do this way more than mine do. Um, but you're usually aggregating like data from multiple sources, right? Which oftentimes is just like customer data from multiple sources, yeah. especially in your business, right? Like from a marketing perspective, you might pull one list and then another list. Um, and 
and Chris really got got some there that I think is important, the re-identification attacks that can occur against that data, both intentionally and unintentionally. Again, it, that, that link I sent last time, there's um, there are a couple of links there to privacy attacks, like mm-hmm. real-world privacy attacks. People think a lot about security attacks, and they can define probably a dozen of them. But if you set, if you ask someone, name one privacy attack, they probably go, I don't know, I don't know what is a privacy attack. But, but re-identification is a type of privacy attack that clean rooms very much suffer from. Some mm-hmm. of that data isn't meant to be re-aggregated together because it Correct. does re-identify the individual. And so, for example, if you pull lists from multiple places as an advertiser and I, Gabe Gums, told you to remove me and you've now pulled me back together, now I'm back in a new list somewhere, you need to have both a governance process as well as some kind of a control there that doesn't start remarketing me, right? Like equally, if I told you to delete my data, um, you know, vis-a-vis CCPA and you've just re-aggregate my data from a bunch of places in the clean room. And now there's Gabe Gums again represented in your data set. Like that, that's, that's just a flag on the, on the play. Think about it from a healthcare perspective. If you have your, your healthcare company, your insurance company has information on you, what prescriptions you take, what ailments you have. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's very sensitive data that has to follow HIPAA compliance guidelines. If that data that is de-identified, understandably, uh, by the insurance company. They might have it secured and identified, but if they have to match that to a payment provider, to uh, a third party that they might be working with that needs that information, it could be a, a billing tool. I, I mean, um, uh, a, a billing, well, uh, like a, a healthcare uh, system, like plugging into one of the larger healthcare systems. Like a CRM? Like, uh, or, uh, it could be a CRM, but it could be, I'm trying to think of, uh, like Kaiser in California. Maybe they tie into their, oh, their, EHR, their like EHR. healthcare system. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So if you're doing that, there's, there has to be a transfer of data, but if there's any way in which that data could be linked together, two or three data sets to say, oh, wait a second, with these two data sets linked, I can actually figure out who this person is. If that happens, you are breaking HIPAA compliance. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really important in some of these, uh, you know, specifically sensitive data environments that that governance that you build in a clean room where data is being connected and potentially being connected together where you could re-identify the governance is really important there. You have to make yeah. sure that you are not creating an environment where that could be stitched together to re-identify. Um, as one example, but I, I, oh, it's, yeah, it's absolutely something that, um, you know, with, with specifically with compliance issues and regulatory issues, um, you know, I think folks are, are, are realizing that they have to create better systems for that. Um, so scary statistic for those that may have never heard it, but oh, don't remember it. Cambridge Analytica with only 15 data points was able to identify like 99% of Americans. So that's all it took to identify any one American was about 15 data points. And most of you, if you've ever Googled yourself, will know that's probably true. Like you'll see your home address. You'll see a lot of information about yourself out there um, unless you intentionally scrub that stuff, which by the way, people, you can. We talked about this in episode one. Mm -hmm. Episode one, like you can absolutely remove yourself or as much as you humanly can from the interwebs. You can do it yourself, actually, believe it or not. Um, And you're not the only (laughs) one in the world. There's a lot more of you. 
I have a person very close to me who's an absolute maniac, apparently, because they did this themselves. Like they, they sent the emails and letters to all of the different data aggregators. And I'm like, you know, you could have could have just paid that company 20 bucks to do that. right? <laughs> <laughs> so you can do it yourself. You can or you can spend the cash. Um, and I'm not going to plug any of the folks that do it. Feel free to Google around. Um, if anyone wants a direct recommendation, just hit us up on LinkedIn and, and I'll share it there. Um, but uh, I use a service. Um, and it actually it does it on a regular basis, which is kind of nice, and it's not terribly expensive, and it automates that entire process of you know sending all of the letters to have your your data removed from all the places. Fifteen data points, that's it. One five. That's not a lot of information. You you we've all three probably given away at least six data points about ourselves in this show. I've talked about where I I, I talked about where I where I grew up. I talked about size of my family. Right, like there's there's enough data points already there. We talked about industries we worked in, like. Dane is just spewing all over the place. Well, yeah, and digitally, the, the amount of leakage, you just don't think about it. I mean, it's one thing in a conversation where you say something, you're like, oh, I, that was interesting that I said that, but I shouldn't have said that. But digitally, I, people have been so free thinking that each of these disparate data points can't be connected together. And I think, Gabe, you're absolutely right. Number one, the companies that you work with and definitely log into and then use you know, single sign-ons to log into. Know everything about you. Every um, we, uh, we briefly talked about that. Every um, time you click the, the sign up with blank as opposed to you create a new email, every time you click the sign up with Google, sign up with Apple, sign up with Facebook, you've just given those organizations permission to know more about you. Take the lazy and, way. It's not that that's the lazy way and then give up the data or create an email address, create a password, blah, blah. It's hard. I know it is. But again, there's tools that can help you do that. You can use like LastPass. It'll just pop the things in. Yeah. Don't give up your data for nothing, folks. It's true because everything you have to sign up for, everything. Because I think we talked about this on the first episode is because you have to sign up to get like, the biggest thing is like a discount. There's like a discount if you sign everything. up. You want a you 10% discount? All right, you have to sign up and we'll send you the 10% discount in an email. <laughs> well, companies want to interact with their businesses, right? I mean, yeah. your customers, Chris, like what is what is the primary driver for making us sign up? So I, that's that's the, you hit the, the last trend that we're seeing. I mean, there's others, but I think it's a last big trend that has privacy implications. And that is what you just described. So we are moving very directly to a subscriber model for almost everything we do. Definitely from a content perspective. Um, anything that you are consuming from uh, specifically digitally uh, had other models to support it that were usually non-direct to the customer. If you went to go see a movie, you consume that content, you go to a movie theater. It's not Disney presenting that movie to you. It's the movie theater presenting a Disney movie to you. Mm -hmm. That's just a simple example. The way media companies, content companies, the companies we were, even technology companies are now engaging with customers. And you see it in retail, of course, is going more direct to customer, more direct to consumer. And so if you look at D2C, D2C is the great you know, acronym for retail, of course, but it's absolutely happening with all the pluses in media. You know, how many, how many subscriber models and pay models do they have now to engage content on top of you know, not cutting the cord with respect to things like cable, etc. So we're paying more now for content than we ever have before. And even if we're not paying for it financially, we're paying for it with an exchange of 
value associated yeah. with your personal information. And companies have to do this. The only way they're going to be able to engage directly with consumers is to have that connection. Yeah. And that connection should not and cannot be broken to create the experience and to create the data exchange that they need to create value. Uh, and so, yes, more companies are going to be asking for your information. You're seeing it already. And that information, of course, as you're giving it up, has to have some sort of value exchange that you align to, but then also does create potential privacy concerns and issues down the road because they know will know more about you so that they can engage with you better and more directly. Um, but knowing more about you depends. Yeah. That depends whether you like that or you feel uncomfortable with it. Um, and by knowing more trust about that you, they're not, Oh, sorry, Gabe. I was going to say, and knowing more about you, you're entailing the habits of that person. So it can, so you're triggered through the algorithm for, ads and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, for ads, but also just to make sure that they're getting the right content to you at the right time. I mean, that's mm -hmm. ultimately the goal. And I, I don't think it's a, a it's not malicious, no. but the, the potential genius, for the wrong company, wrong person, Gabe, I think you were getting to this, like you have to have trust in that company that you're working with and how they're going to use it. Yep. You read and, my mind. You read my mind. Yeah. You, br you brought the examples of the companies that people have trust in. Yeah. with respect to the data and, and, and increasingly companies where, um, you know, market value are being impacted by uh, a lack of trust around um, how data is being used in and privacy. That, and that's that differentiator that organizations can, can create technologically. They can, they can innovate through their privacy initiatives such that they give themselves a competitive advantage. If I know I can trust you with my data, I'm going to sign up all day long for your stuff. I will. If I can trust it, you're not going to give it away. You're not going to share it. You're going to safeguard it. Like if I can trust you, you're not going to abuse it. I'm all in. Let's do it. Let's do business. I want to do business. I want to consume things. I want to consume things. It actually goes back fundamentally to how companies attack revenue streams. And if your revenue is based upon the data that you're collecting, there's more of a proclivity for you as a company to exploit that data. If your revenue is based upon some sort of financial transaction or a value exchange that everybody understands and agrees to, then you have the ability to be more privacy centric and, you know, create that environment where you can differentiate. And mm -hmm. Apple is the perfect example of that. Apple is a hardware company. It's a software company. It's also a subscriptions company. And I don't oh, mean yeah. just Apple, Apple TV plus. I mean, uh, I saw, I don't know if it was a meme or God forbid I say a TikTok, but, uh, it was, I saw something where it said, I pay six ninety nine Apple every single month and I have no idea what for. Um, and that's the business model, but at least you can probably figure out what it's for. It might be for iCloud or something, some newsletter that you've signed up for and forgotten they, about. They but, take a little off the top of every subscription transaction. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. They, they take a little off the top. It's, I don't even know where they're at in the fight with like, uh, the video game maker of Fortnite, right? Like that was the big argument. It was like, what, when you buy things in game, on one of the, the Apple platforms, they took a cut and they were like, you shouldn't, you don't deserve a cut of that. And they're like, 
you're transacting on my platform. Every, <laughs> yes, subs- we do. every, when you, I mean, it's funny because when you say there are subscriptions, they're like, they're a meta subscription business. Like they're, Correct. their business model got so freaking meta on the subscription. They have subscriptions. They monetize the subscriptions inside of their subscriptions. It's that, uh, it get you to can be, be- you can be very privacy centric and very privacy oriented when that is the case. And I, right. I, I think that's the difference in business models often that dictate how much you can um, regulate within your own products and your own business versus um, where, where you might not be able to as well as you should and could. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great, great conversation. I think, um, I enjoy talking to Chris. I, mean, I think this is our third, third in-depth conversation now. It's oh, well, yeah, you, you, it's yeah, good times. We've spoken in between our podcasts. So, we did speak yeah, in between our great, podcasts. Always great talking to you guys. Yeah, it's man, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Um, of course, because I know how busy you are, and just you know, being being our show, we just really appreciate it. I just want you to know that, um, and thank you for the listeners too, because I'm sure they appreciate it as well. Um, is there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap things up that we didn't talk about? I'm, I'm good. I appreciate you guys as well and uh, appreciate your listeners. And I hope you guys have a great weekend. As well, you, my friend, thank you for sharing your perspectives, especially, uh, the, the trends. It's always good to get fresh insights from the battlefield. That's a shitty analogy. I apologize. Um, (laughs) You might have to edit that one. Uh, but on that note, though, I will end on, on a somber <laughs> one. Um, take care out there, everyone. Take care of each other. Take care yes. of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Love yourselves and love your other selves. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. It's stop. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. If you guys want to keep hearing us and supporting us, please, please, please email me at cameron.ivy at spirion.com. That's C-A-M-E-R-O-N dot I-V-E-Y at spirion, S-P-I-R-I-O-N dot com. We would love to hear from you. New topics, guests, all that good stuff. Support us. We love doing this every single week and we hope to continue. Thanks again for your support. And again, Cameron Ivy, over and out all around decent guy. See you next week.